Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. It is Wednesday, August 14th. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I have in the studio here with me Thaddeus Romanski, the new daddy. Good morning, Gene. How you doing? Just fine, thank That's you. That's right, I am. And how is that little girl? Are you getting you and Robin getting any sleep? She was a very cooperative baby last night. We got almost six hours of uninterrupted sleep. Well, that's great. For yes. Uh, she's, what, a uh, week old now? Yes, she was born on the on the 6th. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I have uh, the guest that I'm going to be interviewing here a little bit later in the studio with. It's also Father Andrew Din. And uh, we're going to be talking about how his transition from uh, a young boy in Saigon, Vietnam, to a priest at St. Joseph Catholic Church here in Bryan, Texas. Uh, today is the feast of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Uh, and now you probably hear more about Father Maximilian Kolbe or St. Maximilian Kolbe than you want to know today because I heard some this morning on uh, one of the earlier broadcasts here on KEDC and uh, on Red Sea Roundup, KEDC and KY. Is it K? I never get that one right. KYAR in Waco. KYAR in Waco. 98.3. And KINF in Palestine. Right. Uh, welcome to all of you, and uh, just really, I'm glad that you are with us today. Uh, and we are going to talk about Maximilian Colby. Uh, he shares something with Father Din that we talked about just before we went on the air. In that Maximilian Colby had a life-changing experience at age 12. And when we hear Father Andrew's story, we'll hear that he had a life-changing experience at age 12 as well. When Maximilian Colby was 12. Uh, he had, and it's not clear depending upon what the source is, whether it was a dream or a vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary coming to him and offering him two crowns, a white crown of purity and a red crown of martyrdom. And the, uh, Mary asked him which of these he wanted, and he said he wanted both. And that was really a change in his life at that point in time. Uh, he came from a very Catholic religious family, and uh, he went on uh, then uh, eventually. He had a, a struggle uh, when he was trying to decide whether he was going to be a priest. He wanted to be a priest at 12, and then it turned out that he was quite an intelligent young man and uh, actually designed uh, weapons uh, for the uh, Polish army uh, before he went to the seminary. And he was torn between becoming an engineer and becoming a priest. So hmm. it was a difficult decision for him, but in the end, entering the Franciscan uh, order, uh, he's a conventional, con- I can't ever say that, conventional transition, Franciscan. Uh, he entered that order, and uh, he was so bright that uh, whether he wanted to or not, his, uh, his superiors sent him to Rome to go to school at the Gregorian Pontifical University. And uh, he got his Ph.D. at age 21 in philosophy. 
That's when most people are graduating from their undergrad. Yes, unless they happen to be like somebody that I know that I went to school with who graduated, got his bachelor's degree at 16. That, that is impressive. And then he went on to get a second doctorate, doctorate in theology at age 28. So, wow. Uh, double doctorate? A double doctorate. And you've got one, so you know how difficult I barely was. got through my one. <laughs> so St. Maximilian Coley did two before he was 30. Yes. That's amazing. And, I did not know that about him. And the other thing that, that happened is while he was still studying for the priesthood, uh, he formed this uh, um, Knights of Immaculata. Yes. Which uh, we have an Immaculata Society mm-hmm. that helps to support KEDs. I was kind of, that, that was kind of our um, nod to, to that, yes. And uh, this was done before he was ordained mm-hmm. uh, and uh, because of his devotion to Mary. And he started printing presses and all sorts of things uh, to, uh, to support that. Uh, it was one of the largest uh, printing operations in Poland at the time before the uh, Nazis shut it down in 1941. And uh, he also uh, negotiated with a man for some property for a uh, Franciscan monastery on a piece of land. And basically, he gave the guy a statue of Mary and the guy, the man's, and this was Count so-and-so, I don't remember the name, uh, changed his mind about charging him an exorbitant amount of money and uh, gave them the land. Okay. And that was one of the larger monasteries, uh, Franciscan monasteries, uh, right outside of Warsaw. And uh, I cannot say the Polish name, but in English it would be Immaculata. And uh, hmm. he also uh, uh, he suffered from tuberculosis most of his life, uh, and he was well enough at one point in time that he got himself sent to Japan, and he established uh, the Knights of Immaculata in Japan and uh, also brought over printing presses and printed their voluminous material in Japanese and eventually Chinese and Indian, uh, I guess Hindi as well. So he, he was very prolific in what he was. Able I didn't see. I didn't know that he traveled outside of uh, outside of Europe. Let's say that's. So I, I you're, think, you're digging up all kinds of new information for and, me. And Gene. I, I think he actually uh, he actually uh, went to Japan twice. Uh, so he he did a lot of things, and probably the thing that he's most famous for is that when he was. Uh, arrested. He was arrested. There were, I think, four priests from the monastery that were arrested at the time he was arrested, and uh, they were eventually taken to Auschwitz. And uh, in Auschwitz, after, after he'd been there for a while, uh, one of the uh, prisoners escaped, and I'll talk about the movie where you can see how that all happened in a little bit, uh, was buried, kind of buried alive and got, uh, was able to get up after everybody had gone back to the concentration camp. And uh, he volunteered to take the place of a prisoner who was going to be executed uh, because this man escaped. Uh, what the process was that the SS, who was running the camp, uh, took 10 men to, uh, for every one that escaped and put them in this bunker-type situation where they had no water and no food and waited for them to starve to death. But he took this man's place, so he actually— uh, laid down his life for one of his friends. Well, he didn't really know the man. And the thing that's interesting to me and a tie-in with some of the things that we've, we've been doing over the last several weeks or months for me and will be doing in the near future is that the man that he, whose place he took had been in the Polish army. And so uh, the Germans basically took most of the Polish soldiers that were left and imprisoned them. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And uh, Maximilian himself uh, lasted, I think, 14 days in the bunker, and he was the only one of the 10 that was still alive. And when he, uh, when they opened the bunker, he was still alive, and they injected him with carbolic acid to kill him. And this was on August the 14th today. Mm-hmm. And on the following day, they cremated him along with the other bodies. So On the Feast of the Assumption. Feast of the Assumption. Yeah. And kind of like Father um, Capon. Yes. He was undoubtedly ministering to those men that he was in that, oh, that yes. cell with yes. up yeah. to his the, death. The story goes that not beforehand he would say mass clandestinely, mm-hmm. I'd pray with them, and that they prayed the rosary frequently in that bunker as well as sang hymns, which reminds me a little bit of St. Paul yeah, that's in, true. in the prison. Now, if you look at St. Uh, Maximilian uh, himself, uh, people didn't really know when he was canonized whether what he was what kind of a saint he was going to be. They knew that, that he as as a blessed he was uh, he was uh, declared a confessor of the faith. And when Pope John Paul II came out in red vestments, they knew at that canonization that he was going to be declared a martyr as well. Right. Right. Uh, interesting facts about Maximilian Kolbe. He, and he, you can go to Catholic Ans- or Answers.com to get this information if you want. He's the patron saint against drug addiction, uh, for drug, uh, against drug addiction for drug addicts, and addicts in general, as I understand it, families, imprisoned people, journalists, political prisoners, prisoners in general, and for the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. I think the part about him being a patron for addicts, people suffering from addiction, that's so important for our day and age because— um, we can remember to ask him for his intercession for all of those types of people in general and then specific people in our own lives who we know are struggling with sexual addictions, substance addictions, um, addictions to other kinds of bad behaviors. Well, if, if you go to some of the uh, places, 12-step programs, there's, uh, uh, they have 12-step programs for food addiction, mm-hmm. shopping addiction, mm-hmm. porn Mm-hmm. or sex, mm-hmm. uh, you name it, alcohol, drugs. And they even get, sometimes they even get specific as to which drug it is that you're addicted to, whether it's yeah. cocaine or heroin or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, interesting fact, those of you who have formed, if your parish has formed, uh, take advantage of it. If you want to get more about the life of Maximilian Colby uh, on formed, there is a movie called Life for Life. I've gotten through about half of it. It's in... It's in Polish with English subtitles, uh, and in typical European fashion, it's there are muted colors. It moves rather. I'm glad you didn't say it was in Polish with French subtitles. That would be <laughs> well, not very helpful. I, I, I imagine you for could, most of us. <laughs> well, there's also one on YouTube called Leben für Leben, which I think has German subtitles. Mm. So, but so you would appreciate the irony there. I would, wouldn't I? No, Saint Maximilian would. Uh, yes. Oh, and that's one other thing that uh, I failed to mention, that there was a point in time where the Germans took over in Poland, mm-hmm. that he was given the opportunity to declare himself to be a German citizen because of his German heritage, and he refused to do that. Yeah. But this, uh, this movie moves rather slowly. It's, it is very good, and it moves back and forth in various things between his life and the life of people after he was uh, killed. And if we can back up to his time before he was imprisoned— um I learned when we were looking for a patron of our recurring gift society, um, 
we and we ended up naming it the Immaculata Society. One of the reasons we chose that name and we chose St. Maximilian Colby is because he was a shortwave radio operator. He had a shortwave radio station in Poland oh, I'd forgot, during I'd, the occupation. I had heard that, but I So he's another that. patron of Catholic radio, of yeah. shortwave radio operators. So if you're not a member of that Recurring Gift Society and you want to be a part of supporting Red Sea Catholic Radio on a monthly basis, ongoing basis, you can do that just by going to redsearadio.org and signing up there. And you also get some bonus audio content from these great interviews that we do on Red Sea Roundup from time to time and a an email newsletter sent out monthly called the Immaculata Review, which is some musings from me and uh, articles and um, the audio extras from Roundup that uh, comes to your inbox each month. And um, we hope that, that can all of that can help support you in your faith life and you can be a part of nourishing um, the faith life of other people and giving and, and making a little self-sacrifice in the, in the kind of the, right. in honor of St. Maximilian Colby by giving of yourself to support the radio station. So think about doing that. The Immaculata Recurring Gift Society at redsearadio.org. You can get more information there. One more resource that I'm aware of, and uh, we'll move on to something else. Uh, if you go to stmaximiliancolby.com slash documentary, there's a video on his life, too. It's about a 30-minute video. Uh, uh, again, it looks like it's in Spanish and uh, Polish and French and English aha, aha. with subtitles. Okay. So it, Perfect. It's, it moves a little bit faster than the movie. Okay. Uh, one other thing that I think is very important that we talk about today is that beginning tomorrow, there's a novena for our nation, uh, which is a uh, asking everybody to say a rosary a day for our country. Uh, and this is going to be through August, 5th, uh, August 15th through October 7th. Uh, and it's something, If uh, the flyer I have has an endorsement by Raymond Cardinal Burke. Uh, if you want more information about this, uh, you can go to Rosary Coast to Coast, one word, rosarycoasttocoast.com. Okay, and uh, I don't know whether anybody would be interested in that. I think we have supported that in the past, have we not, Thaddeus? Yes, we have. Mm-hmm. We've given information about it in the past. Okay, yep. uh, so we are just about running out of time. Uh, we got how much more time we got, Thaddeus? About 15 seconds. We probably need to head to break so folks can come back and hear Father from Andrew. Father Andrew Den. Yes. Okay. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and my host this morning is going to be Father Andrew Din, uh, Associate Pastor of St. Joseph Catholic Church in Bryan, Texas. Uh, and before we do that, I have to say again that every time I hear that bumper music, I think I need to come in on a horse and tie it up somewhere. 
Well, I'd love to see that someday, Gene. I think that would be really entertaining, and we could maybe do a a Facebook Live video of that or something. I don't know how I'd get the horse up here on the second floor, though. Well, let's cross that bridge when we come to it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, As I say today, my my guest is Father Andrew Dinn, Associate Pastor of St. Joseph Catholic Church here in Bryan, Texas. And uh, we're going to be talking about his life story, and uh, I don't know that we're going to have time to talk about all of it, but I hope we get some of it done. Those of you who uh, maybe have a question or a comment for Father Andrew, uh, you can give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. That's 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. Good morning, Father Andrew. How are you doing today? Good morning, Gene. I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me here. I am so glad that you're here. We talked about, uh, I guess, almost a month ago now, uh, about your coming on the air, and you have such an interesting story of your life. Uh, you're, you told me at that point in time that, that you're, you are from Vietnam. Uh, you were, born, I guess, born and raised in Saigon? Yes, uh, yes, I was born in Vietnam. Yeah, born oh. in Saigon, yes. And uh, that your, your ancestry is actually North Vietnamese because North Vietnam was actually more Catholic than South Vietnam, and the occasion of your your uh, grand was it your grandparents or no your... it's my parents um uh, who migrate from the north to the south so yes it's my, my mom and, and, and that was occasioned by the communist takeover of the north yes yeah, it's just um after the um after the um yeah the, the communist takeover of the north and then um uh, my mom and my dad my whole family moving to the south yes and uh, you you were born you were born and raised in Saigon, or the Saigon area. Yes, um, yes, I was born in in, in in Saigon, and I lived in Saigon uh, before the wars were ended. Yes. So. And, and you were telling me uh, when we con- talked earlier that the people in Vietnam still call it Saigon rather than Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah, it's because it's ingrained inside the people head, and they they already uh, the, it's still. Uh, Called Saigon in a lot of people's mind because it's a, it's a it's a name that easier to remember than it is very and catchy. And uh, your family was extremely Catholic, from what you were telling me. Yes, my 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 whole family is in as far as I know, uh, from my mom and my dad's side, they uh, we were all Catholic um, uh, since birth. So yes, um, and we my mom tend to be a, a, a person who always keeping us intact to the Catholic faith. And, and at what age did you uh, kind of have some inkling that you might think about being a priest? Well, um, it's always there since uh, I was in the refugee camp. That's when I first okay. met a lot of, um, of religious um, men and women who helped me through the journey. Okay, let's talk about how you got to the refugee camp. What mm-hmm. happened to you at age 12 that, that is so significant? It, it, it is life-changing. You wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened to you at age 12. Yes, because um, at the age of 12, my mom and dad decided to for me to leave Vietnam to come uh, to find um, a life for me outside of, of my country. So I left Vietnam when I was 12 uh, on, the ref- uh, in, on, the, um, on the boat. Uh, well, I'm one of the boat people, so and yes, go through the boat, um, travel across the the, the the Thai Ocean from Thailand to from Vietnam to Thailand. Yes, and that 
you were sent without any family members. You were sent by yourself, were you not? Yes, I was. Um, my mom was. The, oh, my 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 family sending it up for 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 me to go across the, the sea with um, the people that I never met before, but uh, they're, they're supposed to be my relative. Mm-hmm. Father Andrew, can I uh, can I ask you to put a little bit more? context or understanding for for people about the situation in, in Vietnam at that time and for example the the journey that your parents placed you on to go to Thailand that was an illegal yes, thing that uh, they were doing correct in the eyes of the communist government and yes back then um, as a a, a, a country uh, just over the I mean after the war um, the communist uh, government uh, want to recruit a lot of men to, to defense the country. So uh, they tend to um, recruit, I mean, like asking uh, a 15 years old man, uh, boys to, 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 to become a soldier. So um, that's, that's when my family thinking, you know, because the, um, I'm 12 at that point, it's almost time that yeah. Calling, so that's and they were fighting actively in Cambodia at that point. Point were they not? Yeah, they was. They was. Um, they was in at war. So at the Cambodia, and a lot of people went, mm-hmm. and not many people returned. Yes. So many boys went, and yes. not many people returned. So my. So this would have been the early to mid nineteen eighties. Is am I thinking? Yeah, this is in the middle. In the middle. Of eight, 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 okay. Eight, okay. Yeah. So they put you on the on these boats and and sent you across to Thailand well, to escape. It, yes, it, 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 it sounds uh, simple. It sounds simple, but it's it, it not. Um, it's it, it between um, the journey between where I live to the coast is another the journey that uh, I have to make through by myself, go through that to get into the boats is another story. So you can relate to the people that are being caught in the middle of the Mediterranean trying to escape some of the think conditions in Africa and get into Europe. I mean, yes, it's, 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 um, I don't think anybody would love to go through, but you have to get through to get to get to this point. And when you got to Thailand, if I remember correctly, you told me that you didn't get to go to the refugee camp immediately. No, I um, we got picked up by um, a, a um, what you call it? The um, it was some kind of a boat, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the. Um, well, it, you were on this boat. You got yes, you, uh, yes. Uh, he got picked up by 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 this um, boat, and we got inside uh, into a a de- deserted. Um, they placed us on the desert. Um, the des- deserted boat that they, you know, is a very old boat that they, they out service. So they place us up there for another month to stay in there waiting to bring us into inland. So we spend another month on inside that um, boat. Yeah. That must, the whole departure from a very close-knit family uh, and n- not knowing whether you'd ever see your family again must have been a traumatic experience for a 12-year-old boy. Yes, uh, back then, but... Uh, I think I think I'm thanking God that because back then, uh, as a, a a young mind, I don't have that sort of difficulty. I mean, don't bring us that into uh, don't bring my mind into that sort of thinking, because um, you know, as a of twelve, um, we I don't have that deep thought into those um, negative side, kind of side. So it it is uh, 
easier rather than you know at an adult. Now the camp that you went eventually went to was run by whom? Well, it's run by the UN, uh, United Nations, uh, who um, generously uh, opened the camp so that everybody who go through got to come there and stay in the refugee camp. So, and it run by by the UN. But yes, uh, what was there? Was there a religious activity going on in the camp while you were there? You said you met some people, the very religious people. Well, because I I, I was a a a, um, a minor by. A, in which I don't have any family, so they um, they they placed me inside called the minor center where the religious the men and women, especially priests and and sisters and, and seminarian, who take care of us um, throughout the time that I was there, um, and, and they're responsible for our you know well being, mm-hmm. uh, enough food to eat, enough water to to drink, and stuff like that. So again, yeah. I. I'm going to remind you, our listeners, that we're talking to Father Andrew Dinn, Associate Pastor of St. Joseph Catholic Church here in Bryan, Texas. And if you'd like to talk with Father Andrew, you can call us at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. Now, you spent about two years at the camp, and then you had a big choice to make as to what you were going to do next, didn't you? Yes, um, the the, the um, most—because— you know, the life in the refugee camp is very difficult and hard, so everybody would love to go to the, to the third country in the sense of go to America or to any other country who is uh, willing to sponsor us. And I have a sister in England, so they, uh, she, I communicate with her through letters, and, and, and she sponsored me, and then, um, of course, everybody would love to come to America. But yeah. you, you, you were obedient to your parents, even in going to England with your mm-hmm. sister rather than coming to America, weren't you? Well, before I left Vietnam, my mom always uh, bring me outside in the in a in the middle of the day when everybody's taking a nap. My mom never take a nap and want to sit there and remind me of everything that I should remember on the journey. So that's when um, she told me to to go to to uh, to go to England to my with my sisters rather than choosing the other places around the world but because it had been two years so I'm um, eager to want to get out of the the, the refugee camp so I got a, a friend who running back for, um, from one day and he said oh I have you know the the email I mean I sorry the address not email that's back then there is no email. <laughs> Um, address that I can write a letter to American embassies and I, you know, asking them so I can go to America. So I'm, as a 12 years old, I don't know better. I said, okay, can I show you? Can I write a letter for also? So I did sit down and write them. I wrote the letter with him. I mean, um, for for the, the 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 American embassy. And a month later, they called me up to interview. <laughs> And I think so, I think you told me uh, when we spoke earlier that that was I think the same day that you your sister you were cleared to go to England. Yeah, just just a few days before, uh, my sister sent me a letter telling me telling me that uh, the 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 the, um, the British embassy also accepted me to come to England. So that's why I went to the interview to the America embassy. I said, I don't want to go to America anymore. And they, my sister has already, you know, sponsored me to England. So I decided that. So I just tell them that um, I'm sorry that uh, I have to decline in a sense of the word. So they, everybody laughing because everyone, want, you know, in um, 
in, in the camp. Everybody wanted to go to America rather than the other country, but I decided not to. <laughs> so. so that was that's interesting that, that you did that in that uh, you were obedient even in that decision. You were obedient uh, when it, your heart probably really said, I'd, it's going to be a lot more exciting to go to America or whatever, but you were obedient to your parents and yes, your family. Yes, it, it, it is. Uh, I, um, I think I, I growing up in a very... Um, Strong family. Uh, my mom always, um, you know, I, I always follow what my my parent tell me to do. So that's one of the things that I think um, keep me through uh, my days throughout my my adulthood. So or since I left Vietnam, anyhow. Yeah. So I, one of the, the scripture that comes to my mind uh, about your journey, and mm-hmm. I want to start it here. Uh, I think it was this last, wasn't it this last Sunday we had the uh, the whole or maybe it was a Sunday before uh, in Hebrews eleven one to thirteen where we read about Abraham the mm-hmm. father or uh, we read when well, that was er- earlier than that and then we have uh, Hebrews eleven one faith mm-hmm. is the substance of things hoped for mm-hmm. and and that you you just don't see it you probably didn't see your future even when you went to England no I never I never realized um, what is God had planned for us in in the future, so I'm just following what um, I've been told by my mom and my my families, and then and then go through life with without thinking in the future. But I didn't never never dream or never think about I'm right here now <laughs> at this moment. So. so you got to England and you spent time with your sister. You, what? How long were you there in England? I was there about uh, uh, nine years, um, okay. starting learning English and beginning to develop my, uh, you know, my academic over there. So, were you able to go to school in England? Yes, I went to middle school and then high school over there um, for for that for throughout that time and learning, uh, bas- basically integrate into the the, the uh, development country sort of. What was your immigration status while you were in England? Well, it's uh, everything legally, um, just a, a legal immigrants over there um, without, um, I don't know, they, they, I certainly don't understand much about the legal status over there anyhow because they got sponsored over the England and then stay there. And then uh, within about five years later, um, my, my, my sisters and my brothers-in-law um, applied me to become a citizen. So, yeah. So did, were you, did you become a citizen? Of yes, I am. Also, uh, okay, British, uh, British citizens. Yes. Now, you, were you were you thinking about going to to university while you were in England? Yeah, because uh, after after high school, um, I decided to apply for university, and then I got everything sorted, did everything's out. Um, but uh, I applied and I got accepted on a civil um, a university. But uh, at the same time, my mom and my other sister migrated to America, and they said they. Well, they uh, they want me to come and live with them, and then beginning to thinking about migrate to over to America. So yes, um, and then I did I I did not uh, pursue that uh, university. Instead, I'm come to America. Your your father didn't come with your mother and sister. No, my my dad. Um, before everything is done, to like the doc- documentation because of the special asylum that he had to go to America through him because he worked for America before the war ended. So, uh, but he died a month before uh, they actually moved to America. That fact that he worked for the the Americans uh, probably made it 
very a difficult life for him when the communists took over. Yes, um, they put him into pre-education camp, that's what they call them, for um, at least six or seven years. Um, and um, was he with the family at that time, or was no? He by himself. He put in, in um, put okay. them uh, him in in jail, so we okay. don't able to communicate with him or anything like that. So yeah. So you you made your third. What well, seemed must seem like a long journey. Uh, the journey first from Saigon to Thailand, mm-hmm. and then the journey from Thailand to England, which must mm-hmm. have been a long one as well. Yes. You're a 12 year old who didn't speak any English, getting on a plane, going to mm-hmm. England, and, how, and probably several layovers in the process, and then you you made the trip from the United from uh, United Kingdom to the United States, and mm-hmm. what part of the country? Where your was your family in at that time? Well, it's my 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 family turned up to Los Angeles at that point, um, and and of course they just have, came for just one or two, two years. So I, I came with them under um, under uh, a tourist visa that recommended uh, recommended uh, recommended by the uh, the migration attorney to do that. So that they can, when I came, they will apply for um, for the, the the permanent resident sort of things um, to migrate to to live in America, and they say, they promise us that's about one to two years the max. Mm-hmm. But it, it didn't turn out that way, did it? No, it doesn't. They, <laughs> I felt that they lied to us. Um, if, if if I know that, I, I should stay behind and pursue my university rather, and, and then. After the the documentation is done, I already had something and move over here rather than just come over here and, and, and sort of become illegal sort of immigration. So you were telling me that uh, that after your tourist visa expired, you were basically an undocumented immigrant for the rest of, what, almost 10 years? 10 years, yes. 10 years I was um, struggled with throughout my, my days, just helping out family with things that, I can do and then helping, you know, friends with, you know, like those uh, construction works and, and, and landscaping and then working in the restaurants with um, with some friends and then my sister opened the restaurant. So it's, it's, it's a struggle through because I don't have any documentation to do anything, to pursue anything. So I basically become um, sort of illegal immigrant who trying to find and meet so that I can live through that time. So, the yeah. same types of things that we see in our country today mm-hmm. with folk, people coming across the Mexican mm-hmm. border. Yeah, because um, that's what we got. I received a, a, a wrong uh, information that people think, okay, come to America and then everything will be fine. I didn't know that until uh, I came and I got have in the sort of stuck in the center of like no man land so that you know waiting for the real um documentation to be taking place and uh, yeah and I, I didn't even got to do anything as a, as a i left I, I turned up into america roughly about 20 and then to about 30 and just in the middle of nothing and so you were working at probably sub minimum wage and just whatever you could get from people because yeah. you were being paid on the side mm-hmm. off the books yeah and Yes, and live under generosity of a lot of people, you know, a lot of um, helping by a lot of my family members to um, take me there and, and pick me up, and, and also taking a bus to to work, and and, and a lot of those, um, yeah, a lot of those. For for a young man who had aspirations of going to the university, that must have been a disappointment. Yes, it is very, 
um it it is very um yeah it 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 is um, tremendously difficult because uh the you know we all had dream i do have dream and i thinking okay um just came to america for two years people travel around the world um just to, to get to know the world and came I, i want to come to america for that purpose i want to be with my family but it doesn't turn out the ways i planned it but must be god kept like trying to um maybe just try trying to work around my experience so that i can be the person that in the future to be uh, i'm going to interrupt here for just a second reminding everybody that our guest today is father andrew din Uh, associate pastor at St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Bryan, Texas. He's telling his story of his journey from Vietnam to the priesthood and to that associate pastorate here at St. Joseph's. Uh, if you'd like to co- talk with Father Andrew or ask a question or make a comment, please give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. How did you deal with the disappointment, Father? I mean, did, 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 did it get you uh, emotionally down, or did you still have hope? Oh, um, it is very difficult, and it is um, very, very distressed in a, in, in a lot of days. But, um, but, but from, from what I got through is my families and also my Catholic faith, I tend to, because I can't go anywhere, I can't do anything else outside of my, uh, you know, the, the freedom that, that, that I can do. So I'm stuck with the the, the, the Catholic Church and I participate in a lot of activity in Catholic Church. I felt safe there, and I felt a lot of support there. So that's where I uh, get. Did you participate in the Vietnamese Catholic Church? Yes, um, I'm in because I we moved from Los Angeles up to in San Jose at that point. So there's a lot of Vietnamese up there. So I participate in one of the. Um, the community, one of the, the parish there in a com- Vietnamese community, yes. Uh, did, did you still have aspirations of the priesthood at that time, or could that kind of put on back on hold until you could get your immigration status? Well, yes. Um, I, you know, be, uh, time when I was in refugee camp where the sisters and the, the, the priests taking care of me, that's when I beginning to find my, um, you know, my my. my Sort of like you know, in, inspiration for 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 you know for the, what they do, and then I kept that that kept growing when I came to England and 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 participated in the Catholic faith too, and then there's a lot of things that's in between, and then when I came to America without any documentations, and there I met a lot of people in the in the you know in the church, and then uh, some of them uh, went on. Uh, they joined into the diocese or they go into religious order and they talked to me and they invited me into and they one of one of the one of the friends said you know why don't you join to the, the religious order they can take care of your immigration for you sort of things and I thinking out loud I said like no I can't not do that because if I do that then I use the church for my own benefit and they said I can't do those um I have to do it with all my own will and my own you know Uh, choosing rather than doing because other reason, and I, that's why it did not go through. I, were, were you actively actively pursuing uh, changes immigration status through those ten years, or did something happen that 
changed that whole thing for you that just sort of happened? It's just I'm waiting for my mom. My mom is the one who sponsored me, and he, she was a, a permanent resident. That's why it takes 10 years. Um, and I got it through 10 years. Maybe it's supposed to be 12 years, but because my mom became a, a season, that's why it's putting me up to um, 10 years. You know, it, it, um, yeah, they they. they, they Processing my document earlier than two years ago. Now. Well, that gave, that freed you up to attend the university, the the dream that you'd had back in England. Yes, I I, I always uh, want to um, find you know go back to school to 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 at least doing something for my life, and that's when I, after ten years, I decided to um, you know waiting and and after I. Uh, got everything sorted out, and I planning to go back to to school. So I went. Um, I, I live in California back then, and back then, it's, you know, California tend to be very expensive over there. So uh, I could not support myself to go to work while I go back to school. So that's why I decided to move to Texas. Because Texas education is was a lot cheaper than California. Um. It, it's also it's just because to coincidentally my my brother-in-law uh, and my sister want to move over here. Um, was this the ones that were in England? No, no, this one is the other one. Okay, okay. <laughs> I had a big family, so there's other sisters. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, they move over here, so I joined I joined them because um, you know housing back then is still affordable, and I sort of like you know trying to. Um, live with them, you know, share their, a room with them so I can go back to school. But, but then, work where we want but, to go back. But even non-resident tuition was more expensive than resident tuition in Texas. Yeah, that's why I, I, I came over here. I worked for a year waiting to uh, establish the, the one-year residency before I joining the, the college, um, pursuing my uh, higher education. Yeah. So uh, what did you do that year while, to support yourself? Well, um, it's a lot easier to get a job when you had legal status. Yes, I, I, you know, I, I work in, 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 in some company, um, just like, you know, minimum wages sort of company, just trying to, to, to step into the system. Um, yeah, but, um, and then, then just working my way up. Did, did you you, uh, you were a member of Holy Vietnamese Martyrs Church in Austin? Was yeah. was it were you at, at that time as well? Well, that's when I first came in a new place, a new. I don't know anybody except my brother and sister. So therefore, I'm, the the only place I can know well is go to back to the church, go to get to know people in the church. Um, um, then I came back to um, to the, the parish. I mean, go to the, the parish to become to find um, you know community by friends and become, you know, get to establish my... That's an, that's an excellent message for anybody who's listening to us or knows somebody who's listening to us that is feeling alone as Catholic and mm-hmm. feeling alone. The, the place to make that connection is really in the church, is it not? Yes, it's the, the church is the place that uh, I felt so safe, so sacred. And, and you know, the people you meet there, uh, and you, I met there is really very um, reliable and very friendly and very helpful well, for my experience. So I think, you know, if you or if anybody or listener out there that, you know, you need something and you go through life and the more difficult, just reach out to the parish and I think find help in there. Like, uh, 
There was you. Uh, you were telling me when we talked earlier that you became a member of, or urged to become a member of something called Christian Life Community. Well, uh, I was uh, alone, so there's one of the friends that I met inside one of the Vietnamese choir, and they, she introduced me into the Christian Life Community. Um, that's where we exercise the Ignatius uh, Prayer Group, to call them, and that's when. Uh, yeah, I joined them just because they have, like, you know, invited me into. So so you were in the choir, and then somebody in the choir mm-hmm. twisted your arm to join this group. Yeah, she said, yeah, we have this group who join us, and it's fun, and that, that is prayer. So they're, okay, praying, I can do that, you know, I can join the group. And then they came in there. Um, the CLC um, spirituality is a little different compared to the one that I know before. They... You know, we meditate on the gospel and sitting there quietly allow quietness so that God can speak to to us. And then that's when I was sitting there quietly for the first time. I said, like, oh, my goodness, this is not good. This is not fun. This is way too boring and <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, yes, yeah, so I tried to sort of like, you get, I went to a few times and I tried to get out, but I can't really get out because the people in that group keep on calling and, and trying to, you know, check in on me, and that's why I feel guilty to come back again. <laughs> oh, so so the Catholic guilt trip was laid on you? No, to... it's, it's not that. It's just I think they care because they know that's I by myself, and if I said I'm sick, they will call and check in on me, and then they feel, okay, now I'm, I lie to them, <laughs> and I should not lie, so I... So I have to return back into the group. But later on, I really appreciate the time in that group because it gives me a, a quiet moment to reflect on my life and what God is calling us and with calling me to do in my own life. So that's when I'm beginning to actually experience the, um, you know, what God actually speaking to us through silence. So you were beginning to to live Psalm forty six ten. Be still and know that I am God. Yeah, that, I think because the world now seems so noisy, uh, we cannot really listen to what God is giving and you know, sending us the message. And then if we don't have silence, then I don't think we can hear anything. Basically, that's where I felt God His journey helped me to. To revisit all of my experience through life, um, within what I said earlier, from the time I was uh, was born to the time I left Vietnam, to the immigration process for both from the refugee camp to England and England to America, um, that's when I felt God really um, used the experience to build the person that I am, and 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 really I think God is planning for me to to do something. Might be in the future, in which I don't know what they are. So silent kind of helped me to go through that. And although you were much younger, your call seems to be much like the call of Abraham, who at age seventy-five was told to move on. <laughs> and yes, it, and it says that he moved. I think it says that he moved by stages. He 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 lived in tents and all, and he never had a permanent residence. And and even a, a, your life as a priest now. Nothing is permanent for you, is it? <laughs> no. Yes. You compare me with Abraham. I don't think I can take that one. Well, but anyhow, <laughs> but anyhow, you're, a lot, you're a lot younger than Abraham. Oh, yes, I hope so. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just not a, a... I think all my life I didn't feel 
a permanent place. That's when people ask me when they come and approach me, Father, where you come from? I would, that's a well loaded question because I don't have a, a place that's I call permanent to actually, oh, I come from a particular place because I live in Vietnam at the same time. I live in, 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 in Thailand and then England and then California and then now here and then moving around. Uh, quite frequent in which I don't feel there is a permanent home that I consider it to be your home. Oh, yes. And again, I'm going to remind you that our guest today is Father Andrew Dinn, Associate Pastor of St. Joseph Catholic Church in Bryan, Texas. Uh, and if you would like to talk with him, uh, the phones are mighty silent today. You can give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. So you were, you were in the CLC, the Christian Life Community, mm-hmm. which, as I understand it, is something that sort of out, grew out of the sodality after the Second Vatican Council to, to return to the roots of the sodality. Yes, um, I think that is the from St. Ignatius from the Jesuit order, um, and that is the third order of, I think, the Jesuit um, helped us to journey our, our life with God, and that's where um, I enjoy that group and beginning to uh, discern what God is calling me to do, and that's how I felt God really calling me into the priesthood, and that's where I'm beginning to listen more carefully on what um, God had planned for me, and in that way, in respond to. How, how did you, how did you adapt to Ignatian spirituality? Was that you talked a little bit about the quietness was difficult, but was was it difficult for you to comprehend Ignatian spirituality and, and to begin to think in ex, ex, Ignatian terms? Yeah, it, it is just a, a, allow God to speak to us through quiet, through through the, the, the gospel and through the message that God sent us through silent, and not through silent, but through nature and through others, um, and, and then using that uh, silent to meditate on what God is really speaking to us, in a mm-hmm. sense. So that is when I, um, yeah, I use that as a, as a moment of uh, the, the, the time of discernment for the priesthood. Let's talk a little bit about when you when you finally made that decision to get into the priesthood, what led up to that? You, I think you told me that you uh, uh, enrolled in was it Austin Community College and were going to school there. Yes. Um, well, I, I came back to uh, ACC um, just to step into the ac- academic, um, you know, well, in a sense, because I don't know how that works anymore because it's after 10 years is a long time to get back into the academic study. So I went back to uh, to that, to pursuing some things so I can starting my life again. So I, I went in there while I'm, I'm joining uh, the, the group, and then I'm beginning to discern, and I, I study and all that, yeah. So did you begin your discussions with, uh, I think she said Father Brian McMaster at that time, or... Or did, was that down the road a little bit? No, it's just the way back when uh, Bishop Sis was still the vocation director. Okay. So when I, I the first time I approached with uh, Bishop Sis before he stepped oh, okay. into different land, so I I went to those um, um, meeting with with Bishop Sis before I got into um, with with uh, Father Brian McMaster. Yes. 
Now, you were telling me uh, that you had a rather interesting way that you finally heard God tell you that you were supposed to become a priest. Would you talk to our listeners about that a little bit? Well, I did, I beginning my discernment uh, in um, with Father uh, with Bishop Sis, and then Father Brian McMaster came in to place, and Father basically Father. Uh, Brian tend to walk with me through my first few first year. So in the very first years, Father Brian kind of like approached me and said, "Oh, Andrew, I think you are ready." I said, "Father, no, I am not." <laughs> so I just trying to putting that um, one one you know away because I don't feel I'm capable of doing it because English is not my strong suit and writing is not good either. Public speaking is not one of my things. As well, and this kind of like scared me a lot of, you know, it's very frightened me um, to the core. But I, but I still feel God is telling me to, to do that. So I'm just trying to take it slow to make sure I do what I should do before I actually committed to. So yeah. So what is the event that finally convinced you you were supposed to enter the seminary? Well, throughout that time, I, I take my um, my discernment seriously. So I normally went to adoration before I went to school between work, um, you know, mass, and then go back to school. So I, I discerning through that. And one of the one of the time I was at in the uh, the silent adoration. That's when I, you know, on that day I specifically this. Um, Telling myself or telling God that I'm I'm desecrate this hour for you to tell me whether I, this is what you want me to do. This is I'm talking about the priesthood here, or is this what I want to do? So I was um, I went in there into the adoration without. I normally bring my homework with me to kill two birds with one stone. Who praying while studying? I'm sorry, that is the. Uh, it's funny at that, this moment. Well, this that's was, all right. Do, do, do you need that extra brain every yeah, day? Yeah, exactly. And then want God to help me with my uh, memor- memorization also. So anyway, yeah. So uh, so I, on that day, I I, I said to uh, I said to myself, I'm not bringing anything into that adoration. Just dedicate this time for 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 allow me to 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 pray for for my vocation. And then that's in that point, I sit there praying and then. Distract comes and then within about fifteen minutes, and then I suddenly, um, uh, you know, um, distracted myself. So I tell myself, "Come on, I, this, you dedicate this hour for God." And suddenly, you thinking about homework again or thinking about other things. So I call myself back into praise, and I said, "I need something to concentrate on." So I pick up the missalet, and I open it up, and there it is on the day that the the, the, the ancient antiphon on that day, Saint Paul said to um, wrote. This is from God, not from man. That's when I felt God really speaks to me because I, I came into adoration with a, 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 a desecration of whether this is God calling me or is this what I want. So now St. Paul said, it is from God, not from man. That's really hit home. And and, and I, don't, I don't know, my eyes start watering without knowing what's going on. It's tear coming out. So that's where I felt so... Are touched by God, in which God really thinking that I am, are calling me to this way of way of life, and that's why I um, um, I decided to you know to making a move in the 
So I, I, I sit in there quiet, I mean, crying in a sense. I'm not sure I'm not, I'm not crying, but tears coming out. So I felt like, okay, people around me might see me. So I walked out and picked up the phone and called Father Brian. He just called me a few months ago, said, I'm ready, but I did, I did not deny it. And then now I call him, said, Father, what do you want me to do? I'm ready. <laughs> but that didn't, that didn't calm your fears about being able to write in English oh. and all that stuff. No, that's that's not that's not it. That's not. Yes, at that moment I feel God called me, but it's, it's but it's not calm my fear of those things. No. And seven or eight years later, you became a priest. Yes, with 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 a lot of difficulty through seminary in life, um, writing papers and study and and memorizing and all that things that really um, a lot of struggle. We've got about thirty seconds left. Okay. Is there anything that you'd like to tell our listening audience as a summary or an encouragement or whatever? What would you like to tell the man that's struggling to decide whether he has a vocation? Well, just uh, basically to everybody, especially the young um, who are discerning into priesthood, is to just take your time um, praying, especially keep God some your some of your silent. Silent will help you to God speak to your heart. I uh, think silent will help you, will help us, you know, stand up, able to listen to what God is calling us to do or speaking to us, whatever it is. So I wish that they, you can um, take your silent moment with God. Thank you, Father Andrew Dean. It has been such a pleasure to have you on our show. Uh, and this is Gene Wilhelm reminding you that when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. 